Today is going to be extra special. Uh, many of you already know my wife, Emily, and uh, she has spoken before and a couple of weeks ago. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night when we got started? We, we, we gave a message about co-laboring with the Holy Spirit, and then uh, last week I kind of continued that talking about um, our priesthood in the believers, and now we're going to continue talking about that co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. He doesn't say we're his robots. He says we are his co-workers that he is working with us. And what's interesting about that is you have to realize if he's working with us and not forcing us, that means we have a part to play. What if we don't play our part? The Bible talks about the Pharisees, and I shared this before. To me, the Pharisees were like the ultimate bad guys. But then I read Luke chapter 7, verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. God had a purpose for the Pharisees that involved being baptized by John. Obviously, he had something for them that would have been positive, but they rejected it. We don't want to be in that boat. That's right. So I'd like to start tonight by sharing with you the single Bible verse that has made me lose the most sleep over the years. It's Matthew 7, 22 to 23. And it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. When I read that verse, I can't help but picture in my mind one of those career ministers, right? They have this huge following. They have a reputation. They appear very holy on the outside. And I picture them waltzing into heaven, getting ready for their pat on the back, their well-done, good and faithful servant. But instead, they get this strong rebuke. And I'm not sure about you, but I never want to be that person. But as Christians, we really like that fruit. That verse talks about casting out demons and performing miracles. And as Christians, we want those things, right? We want to cast out demons. We want to perform miracles. We want to have spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1 tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So that verse can't be cautioning against using our spiritual gifts, can it? So why is that verse in the Bible? That verse is in the Bible to caution us that our works aren't the point. The relationship with God is the point. And those fruits, that is the byproduct of a relationship. As Christians, it is our distinct honor and privilege and even our purpose to develop a relationship with God, with Jesus, 
and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 17, 26 through 27 says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not actually far from any of us. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics of all time. We're going to talk about the why and the how of building a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. I'm sure not everyone in this room grew up in a church that talked about the Holy Spirit and gave a good foundation for the Holy Spirit. I, for one, grew up in a United Methodist Church, and I don't know if it was the denomination or just the church I grew up in, but we didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about spiritual gifts, and we didn't talk about developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only time I really remember the Holy Spirit being mentioned in our church services is during the doxology that we would sing as they were bringing forward the offering. You might be familiar with it. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Praise Father, Father, Son, and Holy Holy Ghost. So as a child, I remember being like, Mom, what's the Holy Ghost? And I remember her saying, oh, it's just another name for God, and we kind of moved on. So I feel like for a lot of people, God is fairly easy to understand as the almighty creator of the universe, and Jesus is easy to understand as the savior of the world. But for some reason, things get complicated when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Ghost. Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Some of it could be the name. Ghost sounds a little bit spooky. But I think it also has to do with not understanding his place in our lives or what he does in our lives. The when and the where about the Holy Spirit. We know that God is omnipresent. That's one of the biblical truths that is little difficult for us to get our mind around. But the Holy Spirit can be in me as a believer, but also be outside of me in this room. Let's look at John 14, 15 through 17. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. Be with you to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. But it is because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So it's interesting about the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about his presence in our lives as, as having different possibilities. He is currently with you, but he's going to be in you, Jesus says to the disciples. You remember in Romans 8, 9, it says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, 
to a measure, the Holy Spirit is a part of every person who belongs to, to the Father. How many of you belong to the Father? Then the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he is in them already, but then he says you'll get power when he comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and throughout the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Acts 1 says that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Today we're going to talk a lot about him being with us and around us. We understand he is always in us as a believer. You, you understand? But the Bible describes a greater relationship with the Spirit. So, what else does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Jesus specifically said in John 14, 26, he says, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you. How many of you want to be taught by God? The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the part of God that teaches us. And he teaches you everything and will make you remember. How many of you ever forgot something? <laughs> I pray that prayer often where I say, Holy Spirit, remind me. And you know what it says? It says all things that I have told you. John chapter 14, or 14 verse 10 through 14 says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So Jesus is saying, look, the Father is, is in me. I am in him. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I am doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. How many of you want to see some of those greater works? I know I certainly do. So as you can see, just by looking at those few verses, the Holy Spirit is intended to have a very important role in our life. And in fact, many of the things we deeply desire as Christians actually flow from that relationship. Have you ever wanted to know God's will for your life? Get to know the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wanted to operate in spiritual gifts? Get to know the Holy Spirit. Ah. <laughs> Do you want more peace, more patience, more love for those around you? Get to know the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Do you want to increase in wisdom and discernment? Get to know, to know the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. And do you want to become a more effective co-laborer with God? Get to know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's right. Romans 8:14 says, "For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God." We certainly can be led by the Spirit. So I have a question for you. How many of you have ever bumped into the Holy Spirit? And by that, I mean you had an encounter, 
maybe it was just a casual thing. Um, possibly you felt the Holy Spirit during praise and worship. Or maybe you felt him during a time of prayer. Or maybe even you felt his comfort during a time of crisis. How many people have bumped into the Holy Spirit? Yeah, quite a few of us. So recently, Josh and I had an interesting experience. When Technology is cool, right? Technology does all kinds of really fun things for us. And one of the things it did for us when we got married is it merged all of our Google Photos together. So it's been a lot of fun to go back through history and see, well, what were you doing in 2002? And what was I doing in 2002? And seeing those similarities. So a few weeks ago, I was going through old pictures. And quite to my shock, I found a picture of us from maybe five years before we ever knew each other. And there was a picture of us interacting at a church function. What? I couldn't believe it. Like, well, look how young we were. I didn't even remember that. He's like, I didn't remember that. We didn't know each other at all, but we bumped into each other. And now that we're married and we have an intimate relationship, how many of you can realize that bumping into someone is not the same as having an actual relationship with them? Can we agree with that? So tonight, what I want to do is I want to encourage each and every one of you to go beyond just casual encounters with the Holy Spirit, to go beyond bumping into him from time to time, and to begin developing a deep, intimate relationship. All right, so we're going to do the how-tos. If you're taking notes, this is number one. First, when you want to get to know the Holy Spirit, read Acts. <laughs> Simple. Get to know the Holy Spirit. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. If you want to know the Holy Spirit, start with Scripture. Read what he's done. I was shocked recently to be talking to somebody and they had a question about, you know, hey, what about the Holy Spirit? And what about tongues? And I said, well, have you read in the New Testament? Yeah, yeah I, I think I've heard a thing or two. I said, listen, go back, read it again, and you're going to see over and over and over and over. It's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's going to talk about tongues, and it's going to talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to talk about the miraculous, and it's going to talk about... And read through looking to get to know Him. There's a difference between just hearing something and listening. So I would say, number one, read the Word looking for the Holy Spirit. Number two, earnestly seek Him. You need to ask. The Holy Spirit doesn't make a habit of coming down and forcing Himself on anyone uninvited. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says, Ask and you will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then another verse, which I think is somewhat similar, but I like it especially because of what we're talking about, because it's very specific to the Holy Spirit, is Luke chapter 11, verse 11 and 13. It says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, 
we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We have a special promise from God that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, we will get the Holy Spirit. You may have been in a church where they, they didn't believe about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, no church doesn't believe that there were gifts because they're just everywhere in the Scripture. There are just some who have chosen to believe, well, they must not be for today. And there's a Scripture that talks about when the perfect has come. Now I know in part, someday I'll know in complete, and when that perfect comes, then tongues will cease. How many of you know perfectly? That day hasn't come. It's clearly talking about heaven. But that idea that, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has ceased, and then they think, well, if I ask, if I seek the Holy Spirit, maybe I'm going to get something demonic. Listen, you have a special promise from God that says when you ask, God says if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will not get some flaky, demonic wrong thing. I promise you, I won't give you a scorpion. What you're going to get is the Holy Spirit. This is, you may feel like you're going on a limb, but God says, I've got you covered. I promise you, when you ask, what you're going to get is the Holy Spirit. And it, yeah, it's not, just real quick, it's not for just the special elite. This is for God's children. How many of you are God's children? It's for us. And I think that's one of the most important points. A lot of people feel like they really have to clean up their lives before they can get close to God. And that's just not the case. God loves us just the way we are, and he wants nothing more. The Holy Spirit wants nothing more than a relationship with you and with me. The most important prerequisite is that we have the surrendered heart and that we earnestly desire a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, that was exactly the place I was in. I had many times bumped into the Holy Spirit. I had lots and lots of experiences with Him casually. But I really wanted, I had this deep, deep desire in my gut for a more intimate relationship with Him. So the first thing I did is I started praying and asking God. I started doing exactly what it says in Matthew 7, 7, knock and the door will be opened. But at first, I was praying and nothing really magical happened. But I think it's important to realize that Matthew 7, 7 isn't talking about a courtesy knock on the bathroom door. It's not anybody in there. No, it's telling us to knock and continue knocking, and the door will be opened. And eventually, I did have an incredible week-long encounter with the Holy Spirit that I experienced in a very physical way, and it was one of those life-changing, trajectory-altering experiences that absolutely changed my life. 
But I think it is important to mention that it's not necessarily about the feeling and the sensation, although that is really cool. It's about the relationship. So I came out of that week with a greater awareness of his presence around me um, throughout my daily life. And I also developed an awareness of his heart towards things, and I could feel that. I could feel how the Holy Spirit felt about people and situations and maybe songs or other things like that. And I also learned to spend time in fellowship with him. And over the years, I've developed this deep, intimate friendship and relationship, and it's been one of the most amazing experiences of my life. But I think it's important to mention that when you start a relationship with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing superficial about it, okay? You're talking about a relationship, an intimate relationship with an all-knowing God. He knows your business, and he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So when you start this relationship with the Holy Spirit, be prepared for some major excavation in your life. Be prepared for uprooting, for some hard work, for laying your heart bare before him. But it's worth it. It's so, so worth it. The next point I want to make is that it's next to impossible to develop an intimate relationship with anyone in 30 seconds a day, right? It requires time. It requires um, time together. It requires effort. A few weeks ago, Josh and I were out to lunch with several people. Um, he had preached in Holland, and we, we went to, out to lunch with people from that church. And one of the men asked Josh, so you speak Spanish really, really well. What are some of the tips you might have for becoming fluent in Spanish? And he gave him a few tips. But the last one is the one that really stood out to me. Josh shared with him that one strategy is when you're driving down the road to just narrate what you see and have little conversations with yourself. Narrate the tree and the stop sign and other cars. And when you get used to that conversation, it kind of attunes your ear to Spanish and you become more fluent both in your speaking and in your hearing. And in that moment, it hit me. Oh my goodness. That's exactly how I developed my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I have long commutes to my office, and I spent that time praying, worshiping, um, having conversations with the Holy Spirit, speaking and listening. And I really attuned my ear, my spiritual ear, if you will, into the Holy Spirit. If every moment of our life is filled with noise, and it's filled with movement and busyness and doing, how can we ever expect to hear the Holy Spirit or to develop that relationship? It is absolutely vital that we create space for him and ask him to fill it. One of my favorite strategies for engaging the Holy Spirit as I was starting out was asking him to please draw near to me 
speak to me, be my counselor, be my friend, give me knowledge, you know, I'd, I'd just engage him, and then I'd worship until he showed up. Once you have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you're going to say, what was it like before? Like, how would, what would I do before? It's interesting, Exodus 33, verse 15, is the story of Moses. And listen to what he says. He's talking to God. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You know where here was? The desert. He's like, he is in a dry, arid desert. And he's looking at the promised land, this beautiful, wonderful place, fertile and, and he says, but God, if you're not coming with me, I don't want to go. How many of you want that kind of relationship with God where you realize, you know what? I would rather be in the desert with you than in paradise on my own. That is what God wants from us. We, we opened earlier with, well, not opened, but we mentioned earlier Acts chapter 17. That's my favorite passage of Scripture because Paul, in a short period of time, tells the people there who God is, what God did, and why God did it. And she read that verse and said, in verses 27 and 28, it says that he made all people so that they would seek him. So that they would seek him. That is, it is literally the purpose for which you and I were created. How many of you realize that it is not satisfying to try to stick a square peg in a round hole? It is not satisfying to try to find purpose. All we have to do is walk through the grocery aisle and look at all the rich and famous people and how much their lives are just falling apart and realize that the purpose in life is not money, it's not fame, it's not fortune. They've found all those things and said, oh, what for? Solomon said the same thing. He said, vanity, vanity. What is the real purpose? The purpose for which we were made was to have relationship with him. Our challenge to you, our, our commission for you is to recognize you don't need some superstar status to engage the God of the universe at a personal level. This is what God has designed you to do. He says, ask and you will receive. He says, seek me out. Get in the Scripture. If you don't know where else to start, go to the Scripture. If you don't want to sit and read it, then find a website that will play it for you. Put an app on your phone where you can listen to, to Acts and then listen through it thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, show yourself to me. And you're going to listen and you're going to see how he acts. And the Bible says that 
He is God and he does not change. And then the Bible says that he is not a respecter of persons. What that means is the way he treated them is the same way he is willing to treat you. If he had a desire to be in their life, then he has a desire to be in your life. If he wants a desire to be in her life, he has a desire to be in my life. If he has a desire to be in my life, he has a desire to be in your life. And the Bible says, draw near to him. And what? He will draw near to you. Whenever I think of that verse, I think of a, of a passing lane. You ever notice that you get behind some car and they're going five miles an hour under the speed limit and you're just waiting for the, the dotted line to break out and you're waiting to see you know, when, when you get a break and you finally get a break and there's nobody coming and you pull out and as soon as you get like fully committed to the pass, then another car pops up. But it's way up there, right? But man, did that distance close when you're going 70 and they're going 70. That's the picture that Jesus says. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. We're going at him, and he's coming at us with that same fervency. And the gap closes fast. It might start out looking like, whoa, God's like way over there. But he says, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And that gap will close faster than you realize. It is it is. A part of our purpose to develop a relationship with him. But of course, that starts with Romans 10, 9, and 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. How many of you have done that? You know. See, the Bible says... You can know you have salvation. You don't have to wait and find out. But if you're here and you don't know where you stand with God, you say, oh, I hear you talking about having a relationship with God, but I don't know where I stand in that. The Bible says you can know. We will do just what it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. So if you're here, close your eyes just for a moment. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, but I want to give you the opportunity to say, I don't know where I stand with God, but I want to know tonight. If that's you, raise your hand. I don't know, but I want to know. I want to be sure. We would pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, that you created us for relationship. We believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. We choose to serve you and not ourselves. We make you the Lord of our life. We believe that you rose from the dead. I thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.